Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. All right, Bud, it's been an eventful week or so. We've uh, been put on the on the broiler, off the broiler, season in, season back on. So uh, a lot for us to discuss. Obviously, we've had some uh, things go on on the recruiting trail, some players opting out, uh, never lacking for content with the Nolcast, and that's certainly not the case today. We will thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce Title, sponsor of the podcast, uh, been with us uh, for five, six years now and are very much the driving force behind uh, the Nolcast. So tip of the hat to them. And um, why don't we do, <laughs> why don't we talk season and what's left and then we'll get into uh, roster news and then recruiting before we flow into listener questions. Yeah. So uh, the Duke game was canceled and now the Duke game is back on in addition to a game against West Virginia. What what does it all mean? Well, uh, it means Florida State will not be making up its game against Wake. So FSU will not be making up the game against Clemson, and it will not be making up the game against Virginia. Uh, also, we saw the ACC uh, put in a new protocol to where the Thursday test will be a PCR test, which is, I, I guess, the uh, the little more more substantive test, uh, and they will not be doing the Friday test where uh, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia all to some extent were waiting on testing results, uh, basically before traveling, while traveling, even in some cases after traveling, uh, which resulted in two cancellations. Uh, Obviously, I I think FSU could have handled that better uh, last week, but you have sort of competing incentives, right? Did FSU know midweek last week that had a very low chance of playing that game? I think so, yeah. Personally, that's, that's my opinion. But I think they were holding out any kind of hope because they need to get that game played for money. And that's the reason the season is continuing. Right? I guarantee there's a lot of guys on this team. There's probably a lot of people within this program who are like, yeah, we're, we're really done with the season. But, you know, like for, for everybody but the players, this is a job. And you, you're, this money supports the entire rest of the athletic department. And so, yeah, they're going to play Duke on the 12th and then they're going to go and play Wake on the 19th. The idea that you're playing on the 19th and not in a game that is of particular significance is interesting to me, but you're right. This is a, this is a, a job and this is, I mean, this whole exercise is a exercise in losing the least amount of money possible uh, considering the broader circumstances. No and I think we all have to have that in the back of our mind as to what this is. This is, this is trying to get as much TV money as possible. This is trying to, uh, to keep the proverbial heads above water after what has been an absolute <clears throat> ridiculous year. Uh, obviously you you know, you started it with the loss of the NCAA tournament and, uh, and are now bookending it with trying to do everything you can to, to get as many of your college football games in as possible. So uh, I understand it. I also understand where uh, the subject matter that we're about to talk about doesn't become more popular because of the subject matter that we're currently talking about. And that is playing on December 12th, playing on the 19th, maybe not exactly what some people on the roster expected uh, for the last couple or the next couple of weeks to look like. So, you know, it's just going to be a really challenging time. It, it is. I, I mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, and this is kind of off um, the beaten path, but Coca-Cola is going to have to drastically reduce their sports advertising budget. Obviously, I am jaded by being born and raised in Atlanta, but think about how many sporting events you've been in your life where you've seen a Coke sign. I mean, it, it is, there's going to be some ramifications from this that we still don't really have any idea as to the exact, um, you know, the impact and the fallout. And it's a business. I mean, we, we've always been incredibly blunt about this on the podcast and I uh, tip my hat to you, bud, with the, the way that you separate some of the emotion from the sport and, and look at it. And that's, that's exactly what it is right now. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on the roster who don't want to go to to Winston-Salem on December 19th, but that is where we find ourselves. So uh, with that, we, we have seen uh, two opt-outs here uh, recently. Asante Samuel, your best player on, on the team, has opted out to get ready for the NFL draft. Um, and then LaDamian Webb ha- has also opted out. now. Here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, why, why have they used the word opt-out as opposed to just quit? Uh, opt-out is a technical term, guys. Uh, if you opt out during COVID, you are using 
basically you're not opting out on your future seasons necessarily. You are opting out on participating in the season and you can use the COVID reasoning, be it, you know, your, your true intent or not to keep your scholarship, to keep your meal money, to keep, you know, keep all that, all, all, all that kind of stuff. That, that's actually, that's a thing. So if you're like, why don't I just say they're quitting? Well, a, they, they may not be quitting. Obviously, it's not the Samuel's going to go to the NFL. I would not expect him uh, back if, if you look at look at his his message. Uh, but Ladamian Webb, you know, he didn't say he's not coming back, right? And we've spoken about this for several weeks, gosh, maybe several months. And I talk to coaches on the regular, especially now because it's recruiting season, and they all want to know what's going on at other schools. And and I, you know, it's kind of a, tra- a training of information. Guys at Florida State, but also guys at other schools tell me, look, man, it is hard to keep kids motivated right now. Okay. They're, they're locked down. They're not really able to see their, their friends who are outside the program. You know, they, they, they couldn't go to the Halloween parties. They couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. They, 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 none of this is normal. Even regular college students are, who are not in these kind of lockdown situations are, are pretty bumming right now. These college ball players on these teams that, that just flat out suck. They're, they're not into this right now. And, and it's guys who I think are, are team first guys who normally would be into this, but these are, they're not paid, right? This isn't a job for them, at least not with the paid part. I think you're going to see more guys who are not future pros begin to opt out here when they realize, wait a second, like what? I could go home for winter break and see my family and my friends back home that I haven't been able to see all semester because hell coach didn't even let me go home for the bye week. Remember that they, they, they scheduled practice Florida state did on that Saturday or Sunday or whatever day that was to basically prevent guys from being able to go home. It was a strategic move to try to combat you know, COVID exposure. Now I, I think you're going to see more opt-outs from all these teams in the big 10. Every team is playing on the 19th and the sec a hell of a lot of teams are going to be playing on the 19th with, with, with the rescheduling. We know the Pac-12 is playing on the 19th with, with all these constellation games they have. I think you're going to see non-future pros opt out here in the next two weeks pretty hard. Uh, one, I think you're right. Two, it is um, well within those kids' rights, and I support them to do that. It's, what I'm about to say is not critical of kids. I do think that we may be reaching some kind of critical tipping point here with um, the way that people view this. You know, I mean, this year has kind of changed. It's removed some of the uh, shiny facade and pulled back the real truth as to what this is. And I think it has probably helped to accelerate a changing point of view amongst uh, college athletes. And there will be, you know, longer ramifications and, and longer term impact of that. And I'm not sure this podcast is necessarily the one for us to speculate, but I do think that this year is, uh, wouldn't shock me in 10 years or so if we look back at this year as a pretty significant turning point in the uh, quote unquote amateurism of collegiate athletics, or at least of college football in particular. Um, All right. So we talked about Samuels uh, moving on, certainly wish our best to him. Talked about Webb. Um, I'll be interested to see. I personally read that note as a, uh, I, I think as for now, it is an opt-out. Be interesting to see what his future plans are with the program and, and what that looks like. If you were going to write a note that, that, that you wanted people out there to know that maybe you're interested in going somewhere, but you don't want to you know, have both feet out the door, you would leave it open-ended like that, right? If that was my want, yeah. Yeah, that is probably how I would phrase that. I guess we're all just going to have to get used to that too. You know, some of these some of these guys uh, may come and play college ball for a year and then move on somewhere else after you know being a a JUCO transfer or a, a prep school signee or something like that as well. So uh, the landscape will be changing and we'll all have to adjust with it. Okay, something that we have talked about, something that has been in the back of our mind and a concern uh, for many surrounding the program is that ultimately. Uh, the talented Mississippi quarterback prospect Luke Altmeyer uh, decides to part ways with Florida State and publicly decommit. This is something that I think had been brewing for about two weeks, had been more or less a formality for about a week and came to fruition uh, within the last what, 
48 hours or so, but yeah, I, I got the text on Monday that it was done uh, and that he, he would announce uh, that that afternoon or mm-hmm. morning or whatever. Like he, he lives in Mississippi. Old Miss is running a fun, exciting, basically the Kendall Browse offense that Florida State ran, you know, last year is, is what they're running there under Lane Kip and a, a few changes, but, but it, it's a high flying offense. He's been able to get down there and, and, and see it twice. Uh, obviously, Old Miss doesn't have much in the way of competition at the quarterback position for him. They have bodies, but they don't have guys who legitimately are going to be in the in the hunt to have that job when when Matt Corral leaves. And Corral, I I don't know if he's going to go pro, but he easily could after this year if he wants. He, he's he's had a really big season for the Rebs, and and yes, Old Miss's defense is horrific. Uh, but if you play quarterback, you don't really care about that unless your unless your goal is like win a national championship, and you're not going to do that in his career lifetime at Florida State or at Ole Miss. I mean, Florida State's not winning the national title in the next four years, and neither is Ole Miss. So you're looking to go somewhere where you can put up big-time numbers, and Florida State just got beat on this one, right? They, they had a long-term relationship on this guy, and the, you know, the energy around this program right now is not good. I, I don't think that, that FSU's been able to sell recruits on what it wants to do. They don't have much proof of concept on the, on the field, and the COVID thing has really hurt them. Uh, we've noted how it has really helped teams that have reachable talent close to home, notably Miami, right? When all those Miami kids were unable to take visits elsewhere, the Hurricanes have really been a big beneficiary of the COVID process. And I, I think here, you know, distance and familiarity with the program in your backyard uh, was was a pretty big factor. He was able to go to two games. He hasn't been to Florida State since uh, since the shutdown. It's a tough pill to swallow, certainly. Uh, you know, with the... Uh with the want of this general fan base to be able to find a quarterback point to it and, uh, and have hope for the future. Uh, Altmaier was certainly a, a nice prospect who had progressed well throughout his senior year. I'm, I'm never going to, you know, bang on a kid for decommitting uh, certainly well within his rights. I will be critical, uh, not of Altmaier, but I also need to be careful about how much stock I put into these, you know, kids notes and what they say when they decommit. But you know, if he had that much uh, skepticism about seeing himself being comfortable in Tallahassee and and with the program, then I will be critical of our own staff of not having a better idea as to that this was coming. And I'm not saying they got caught off guard by it. I think, uh, like I said, you know, this has been something that's been brewing for the better part of a month now. Two relatively high profile decommits where, you know, I'm not sure that the staff maybe had quite the level of relationship that they thought they did with a prospect. And, and to be fair, hard as hell to do this year and develop, build that relationship. Uh, but wasn't done in, in my opinion, and in the manner that it needed to be in either the Altmaier or the Jennings uh, situation. So I, I, I think they misjudged the Jennings situation. Um, I, I think that they knew they were in for a fight with, with Altmaier and that they, they did have a really good relationship with him, right? It's just, mm-hmm. you know, Florida state right now looks like a dumpster fire and it's going to be a long, long rebuild. I, I think Altmaier is smart enough to see that. They're not going to be good next year. They might be okay in 2022. Like it, it's not happening soon. Oh, it's a... <laughs> I, I think he's smart enough to see that, and I'm sure Ole Miss tells it's him. It's a full three to five year process. Absolutely. I mean, I think everybody, uh, you know, whether you're a crew or whatever else, I think we all need to be... You said three to five? Three to five. I, 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 don't, yes. think the, I don't think the three is applicable given this COVID recruiting year. I, I think it's like a four to six. Okay. I think it depends on what you see as uh, how you classify what getting back to respectable means. Could you make a bowl game in year three? To me, be a, getting out of this means you win eight to nine games. I think that's doable within three games. Uh, we'll see. I could be ridiculously optimistic when we look back at this in 2023. I mean, their, their 2022 schedule is they get LSU that year. So who knows? LSU might be a, a dumpster fire by then, possibly. I mean, there things things in that program are not great right now, internally as well. Well, next year's schedule, and next we got a lot of time to talk about next year. But next year's schedule, if you look at it and you put together a little a sprinkling of optimism and a hard dose of reality, is that six and six is a pretty good year next year? Yeah, I'd say so. Unfortunately, sprinkling optimism <laughs> and a hard dose of reality when projecting Florida State uh, seasons over the last year, 
has meant that you've probably over-projected wins by about two and a half to three wins. So am I saying that they're going to go three and nine next year or something like that? No. Am I saying that we might need to brace ourselves for a season like that? Yeah, probably. I mean, we have tons of time to talk about it, but look at that schedule. Tell me where you find the wins and uh, know that this is going to be a long process, whether Bud and I say three to five, four to six, whatever. Full rebuild. Well, we also don't know how big the jump can be given a real offseason, right? Given a, given a, a real year of, of coaching under this staff, right? You can evaluate this staff based on what they've done this year, or you can look at what this staff has done at, at its previous stops. Given the weirdness of this year, I, I'm usually a sample set guy anyway, but, but I'm very much leaning towards like judging the staff based on what they've done at their prior stops. So it is possible this team could, could make a pretty big leap next year just from being more cohesive, better coach, that type of stuff. We're going to have some more opt-outs come off this team, right? Just just to give you an example, we talked about this the other day. Like I, I had a guy who was in the locker room at North Carolina reach out to me. And he's like, dude, that's like the lone time this year that we've had a good, a good year, like, like a good feeling in this program. And at halftime, we had a guy who was moping about playing time, slap, the wa- slap a water bottle out of one of the trainer's hands who was offering it to him. He's like, this team is not all together, man. Like, There's a lot of guys who probably didn't think the last dude should have been fired. There's guys who don't trust the coaching staff because they've been through, you know, a lot of these guys have had four position coaches in four years or three and three. You know, it, it's not something like there's no continuity and, and they don't, they're not a, a team that is willing to trust, at least in, on the individual level. And the whole Zoom offseason stuff just kind of made that almost impossible here. How do you quantify getting some of that crap out of the program? How do you quantify the advantage of, of that, right? Like that, I don't know how to do that. I, I, it's probably not zero. But is it a huge deal? Is it just a, a you know, decent deal? I, I don't know. Like this team could make a leap like next year just based on, on competency. They could take a leap, but I guess my point is taking a leap is winning six or seven games. I mean, if that happens, that's massive. This is not a fan base that acknowledges a six-win season as a, as a big leap, okay? So I think we're somewhat saying the same thing, <clears throat> maybe getting, you know, using different ways to get there. Yeah, so, so the, some of the behind-the-scenes stories in this program are just nuts right now, and hopefully you, uh, you know, use a full – full summer and opportunity for roster turnover in as a productive way as possible. And we'll see ultimately what happens with it. So with that, Bud, you want to, uh, you want to get into listener questions here? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Uh, oh, by the way, I do want to know, I, I, I don't think that they're going to take another high school quarterback uh, in this recruiting class. Um, they technically have to have uh, two true freshmen if, if you, because of the, the, this year doesn't count against eligibility. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they take one, in the February period, if somebody emerges late, particularly out of one of these states that hasn't played spring ball yet or hasn't played their high school football yet. So, you know, a, a North Carolina, uh, what is it, Nevada, Arizona, California, Washington, something like that. Like, you know, if, if I know they have some ties out west. If somebody emerges there, I could possibly see it. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into our listener questions. First couple here are going to be brought to you by Legendary Home Loans. Legendary Home Loans, awesome job they, they do for us. Did my, my home loan and my refi, 844-FSU-LOAN. Give Shannon and Chad a call. More than 110 NOLCAST listeners have used them so far. And uh, we have a couple more shirts to be sending out. I know Ingram is in charge of sending out the shirts now and, and uh, very excited about that. So awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm excited. And uh, let's, let's, do, let's do a couple of these. Uh, Trey, actually, uh, we forgot to get to his question last year. So we're going to lead it off with, with Trey, lo- longtime listener and supporter of the show. Ray writes, the ESPN article made it seem like Florida State is way behind other Southern schools in facilities. My understanding is the only major piece we don't have that other schools do is a football-only facility. Is that true? I know budgets, staff, and other ancillary extras are not set up to speed, especially under Taggart, but is there a major facility we lack besides a football-only facility, and how many schools actually have a football-only facility? Trey's actually mostly correct there. Right uh, now, I would say the coaches' offices and whatnot are like they're not horrible, but like the, the the inside of facility is not you know Georgia looking. That is the main thing. 
that, that, that they are lacking. As far as what schools have a football facility, I would say I think most of the SEC schools do have a football facility that you can, or at least a building you can classify as, as a football facility or a section of an athletics building that that's football only. I, I don't know that Florida State's going to do. Or they've started the process of building one. Like there's a couple schools in the East that are. Florida has. Yeah. Like they're, they're pretty much funded on it. Um, I think South Carolina is breaking ground on one as well. Uh, if I'm correct. I, I, I thought South Carolina was already built. Maybe it is. I could be wrong about that. No, I, I may be wrong. I, I, just, I know they, they approved it and got the money for it a, a while back. I also think like, look, yeah, but by the way, I did hear some rumblings. It seems like they've always had this this idea of okay, either make a football only facility as a standalone, or just re like you know remodel the moor. I actually think they could attach it to the moor and put it. You, you know where the TV trucks park when when when, when you're walk, when, like when you're walking from the Bowden statue to the right of the Bowden statue over about 150 yards or so. Correct. Yeah, there, there's a lot of parking lot there that you you could you could take, and I, I actually heard heard some rumblings that they are looking into that option now, as well for that. In my opinion, that would be better than what they talked about trying to squeeze that against the some of the logistics of that building. To me, sounded like that would be limited and tough. The, the long skinny thing over there, uh, yeah, that, that was going to be wild. If we're going to spend that money, let's uh, and I talking like it's mine, let's make sure we're doing it right. I mean, let's not build some kind of strange thing that in five years, everybody's going to look at as an eyesore and, you know, want to want to do something else with it. So uh, just my, my comment from the peanut gallery. I, I, I think you're right. I don't think Vanderbilt has, has a football facility. I've been digging into Vanderbilt a little bit for the Barton and Bud podcast. That's my national show. If you guys want, want to listen to that on days that we don't have a null cast uh, for 24 seven, I don't think Vandy does. And I don't think Missouri does. I'll, I'll dig on Missouri. I'm pretty sure Vanderbilt does not. One of the one of the thoughts about Vandy is that they don't have uh, they don't have great facilities. I've also been. I really think Vandy should uh, should go option personally. Like you need to do something that is just so out of the norm that if you catch two teams napping a year, you can get two wins and pair it with a four and zero in the non conference and, and find a way to go six and six uh, in in that league. Question two from Trey. All right. Uh, have Norvell and, and company done enough with the UNC win and proven special teams improvement that, that proves up their coaching model enough yet to get some or any momentum on the trail this year? You know, I, I would say not really. I think certainly the UNC win is a bit of proof of concept that you can use with some recruits. And we saw some recruits pretty happy about it, including guys who are, who are in this class. I think FSU did a good job marketing that win in terms of if you look at like the graphics that the kids posted after the win, I mean, that was something that Florida State definitely pressed. Uh, but at the same time, like special teams improvements are not something that's going to really wow anybody. Uh, yeah, not not really. I mean, this is not a great product to sell right now. And this is a staff that I think was going to be largely a relationship-based recruiting staff. And they have not had a chance to form those relationships like you normally would. So. I'll go back to the first part of Trey's question here real quickly before we move to Tom's question. My broader concern with Florida State, and I will have to speak somewhat in coded language here, is not so much the facilities themselves. They'll continue to have to improve those. Uh, Florida State's never going to be a Georgia, Alabama, uh, Clemson as far as like having the, the, shine, the first one with the shiniest new toy in the college football arms race, right? That's fine. You don't necessarily have to have that. You just can't fall so far behind to where, uh, you know, you, your facilities become a liability. But the general infrastructure to be successful, and I'm talking about everything both uh, above board and beyond, I don't think is in place at Florida State right now. I mean, they've got to do a better job of marshalling all resources possible. And that means if it means, you know, you guys give $7 a month to the boosters or whatever, or if you're in a place to give $100 a month to a booster, I would consider doing that. And whatever role is that, you know, people can play in, uh, in the success of the program, uh, they have to do. Uh, but as far as the brick and mortar things, I think Florida State is okay. I don't think they're great. I think it will always be a challenge or at least continue to be a challenge for the next 20 to 25 years as this 
uh, alumni base matures and you start to have a alumni base that more mirrors uh, that of some of your competitors. The facilities is an issue. The getting all of your scholarships endowed is the biggest issue. It is not sexy. It is not pretty. It doesn't make for a cool graphic on social media or anything else. But until Florida State gets its football scholarships endowed, it is always going to be, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul or whatever expression you want to face uh, or use. And it is always going to be, um, you know, you're, you're well behind. You're, you're using your own internal funds to keep your, to keep your college football program alive. So a long-winded way of saying they've got to do that. And then there's some behind-the-scenes stuff when it comes to recruiting that Florida State's got to get better at, work out, and figure out uh, if they really want to play at the highest level when it comes to recruiting. I, I, I would certainly agree with that. It also strikes me that Florida State has never really had to deal with failure on the field from a fundraising standpoint. I, I, I see a lot of and, and message board people are not, I'm not saying they're not real, but they don't represent most of the fan base. And t- Twitter certainly doesn't, right? That's, that's more the lunatic fringe. I think they're dealing with now, that a lot of these fans have never had never had a down year for the program they love, right? Like they, they've never had the you know, late 90s, early 2000s, Alabama th- th- thing. They, they've never had, you know, when, when Florida went on on its run of, of you know, all those years with losing records and and golf clap. Okay. You won the East, uh, but it was a really bad East type thing. They've never really had recently in the last 30 years, the the stretch that, that Miami had with multiple, you know, losing seasons. I think there's a unique challenge here for the boosters to fundraise during this. Right. And that's something I'm interested to see how, how they're going to handle. Moving to Tom's t- question. Tom asked you guys have talked many times about the 2020 <clears throat> Tom writes, you guys have talked many times about the 25 to 26 spot limit that we have for adding players. But with the flood of the transfer market from all schools, it is likely that the NCAA changes those limits, even if for the short term. Also, we are seeing the 2021 class decommit at a crazy rate for a lot of obvious reasons. What is the over under percentage of this class that transfers at least once in the next three years? The NCAA changing limits uh, on this for this year, I think there's a 0% chance of that. Uh, I, it really, to my to my knowledge, has not been discussed. I see FSU fans on the message board and on Twitter talking about it, but I don't hear anybody talking about that behind the scenes. So I would say zero percent chance that they change the twenty five man rule for this year at all, because uh, it, it, the NCAA doesn't typically move that fast for something like that. Uh, are we seeing the twenty twenty one class decommitted at a crazy rate for a lot of obvious reasons? What is the over-under for the percentage of this class that transfers at least once in the next three years? I would say the percentage of this class transferring in the next three years, I'll put it at 65%. I, I, like, I, I'm treating this class largely as a transition class. I would be shocked if you got more than half of this class, if you got th- you know, three plus years out of more than half of this class. Uh, I also think th- that's something, by the way, I want to bring up. People are like, oh my God, is it a big deal that that one of Norvell's guys that he brought in is now opting out. To me, no. I I think you're going to see massive attrition from the first Norvell class because it's it's a, a transition class in the early signing period era. This is what we see. The attrition rates on these classes that you sign when you only have a couple of weeks to put it together are sky high. It's not a Florida State thing. Look, look at Nebraska. I mean, here, let, let, let me let me pull this up. Look, look, look at, at the guys that are already gone from Nebraska's first class, and hell, even recently, like the guys they signed last year. In in looking at at who Nebraska signed last year, I mean, they had, just looking at the Florida guys, Keyshawn Green never made it to campus. Marcus Marcus Fleming lasted six months. Henry Gray, I I believe, is is already gone too. Jaden Francois, I I think, is is off the roster. Basically, their entire group of of guys that, that Nebraska signed from Florida to kind of prop up their class, is is already gone. You're seeing a lot of this, man. It's just the, these short season classes. And maybe the Nebraska example is not perfect because that wasn't a short season class. I mean, that was Scott Frost's third recruiting class that, that he signed there. Uh, but if you look at it, at his first class, the, the attrition on that is really high. The same thing with Tennessee's class, right? The, the, the class that, that Pruitt put together has seen a lot of attrition as well. 
Yeah, I, I I think it's fair to treat this as a second traditional class, and, and you're gonna have a lot of guys who, who don't last very long. I would think. Josh, ask uh, recruiting is the lifeblood of any college football program. The latest year on the recruiting trail has us on track to beat last year's class as the worst class in Florida State history. A lot of this is due to COVID, but even prior to COVID, we always talked about Willie's great track record as a recruiter, but when the L's piled on, it didn't seem to matter how good of a recruiter he was. I foresee more losses next year. My question to you all is, is it still possible to crush it on the recruiting trail with continued losses? I know Miami went five and seven and 20 and two double oh seven, yet still ended up with a number one recruiting class and even coming into this year, Miami was coming off a six and seven season, yet still was a top 10 class before they played it down. Can Florida State turn their luck around on the recruiting trail, uh, despite having a challenging year coming in 2021? Or will we really start needing the bagmen to go above and beyond what they did at the height of Chip Post powers? The 2007 class that Josh, uh, let's just be, we'll go broad to specific here. The answer is no. Florida State will not start to crush it on the recruiting trail next year. They could maybe make some incremental improvements. This is going to be a long-term rebuild, long-term. All right, a lot of the sidewalk fans who, who started rooting for this program in 2012, 2013, they're, they're not going to like how these next couple of years go, and they, they'll probably bounce. Uh, I, I don't think Josh is one of them, obviously. He's, he's rooted for this program for a long time. Um, so no, they, they, if they go, you know, if they, if they manage to get six wins next year, they're, they're not going to be crushing it in recruiting. It's just not going to happen. Randy Shannon had that kind of new coach energy that Florida State is not going to be able to have with Coach Norvell due to this COVID thing. He also signed like nine kids from a program that was uh, 12 miles away from, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a different situation. Yeah, it, it, exactly right. You know, but everybody wants to cite this. Miami did a great job last year off a six and seven season. Miami was a much better team than a six and seven record. I think a lot of, a lot of people who watched them saw that. I mean, they, they, were like a top 25 level team that just had a lot of bad bounces last year. And then they, they were, they were pretty close. We, we took some crap for, for noting that by the way, if you recall, no, so they're, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to bounce back in a huge way in recruiting next year. I, I, I don't think, but they can be much better than this if they actually get a chance to go out there and establish some, some relationships with folks. So, yeah. Okay. You want to, uh, you want to go to Corey's let's take, I'll, I'll take Corey's. Uh, hey, Bud Ingram. Though I must add, just wanted to say I'm rooting for both you guys. And the Noel cast has been a tough year for a lot of things tangentially related to FSU football, such as local businesses and news media whose success better or worse is tied to the success of the program. YouTube provided a consistently high-quality podcast, and my FSU fan experience is better because of it. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. Cheers and go Noles. All right, there's no question here, but Corey, we appreciate that uh, very much, and hope you had a great Thanksgiving as well, buddy. Yeah, really appreciate that, Corey. Uh, and don't be concerned for the Nolcast. We're uh, doing fine. We've had to turn away more sponsors in the last year than I ever dreamed we would have uh, when we started doing this in a, in a lifetime of potting. So uh, we're in great shape and a tip of the hat to our Patreons who uh, have given us flexibility to be, um, you know, as reasonable as possible with some of our other sponsors. So, um, you know, if you guys have a chance to support uh, a small business, uh, anywhere you are, I would certainly encourage it. And if you are in Tallahassee and have the opportunity uh, to support our, our longtime sponsors of, of Madison Social Township and those guys, um, look, they, they need it. They need it desperately. And, and I may be in, you know, putting my own personal views into this program when I say this, but if you don't want to live in a world where Walmart, Costco, and Amazon are the only three choices that you have for, <laughs> for life, keep your small businesses, your restaurants, things like that in the back of your mind right now. People need your support. And obviously, we always thank our friends at uh, the For the Table Restaurant Group for the uh, support and, and leadership that they've given with us, given to us uh, since the first day that we started podding. Gift cards from Madison Social make, make an awesome stock stuffer for Christmas. If you guys are interested in supporting them, please, please uh, keep that in mind. Chuck's question. Uh, give me something positive to think about these next two games. I feel like things might actually get worse. Am I wrong or is my worry misplaced? I agree this is year negative one, but are things even worse than it looks? Well, um, you've got a chance to beat Duke. Uh, that's a positive. I'm not being a total smartass here when I say that. If Wake Forest cares to play, Wake Forest, in my opinion, is probably a little bit better team than some in the fan base realize. Uh, but, hey, you got a chance to get another win. And, hey, you do... I mean, 
you do have a chance to get two more games in. And that is uh, incredibly valuable for this program as it tries to get as much experience as possible with some of these younger kids and and go through a transition prospect. Uh, but yeah, no, it's not going to be brilliant. It's not going to look beautiful. Uh, nothing that happens in the next two games is going to uh, erase the pain that otherwise existed uh, from some of the results, or at least from even watching uh, some of the games this year. I, I don't think it's worse than it seems, though. If issue looks on some weekends... Well, you're two and six. I can't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's no mirage here. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody, nobody has watched this and been like, eh, things are going pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's uh, painfully on display as to where this program is right now. Yeah, I do think you have a chance to beat Duke. Are you, I, one thing I want to see, assuming that the DB group gets out of, of the COVID protocol, because I, I know they had some guys who, who were contact traced out. Um, that, that, was one, that was one of the, uh, spots that I believe had some guys out if, if they were going to play last weekend. I'm interested to see more of the young DBs play. That's uh, that's something that uh, I'm excited to watch. I want to see more Jarvis Brownlee. I, I want to see more Travis Jay and, and, and watch those guys as, as they learn and grow in this defense. Uh, so Steven asks, uh, hey guys, I have a question regarding the coaching staff salaries. I'm not sure if you can even answer this, but with all the talk from the fan base about firing coaches, I'm wondering how many former parentheses fired FSU coaches, FSU is currently still paying. I think it'll be detrimental to the program to just keep firing and hiring coaches every one or two years, considering the financial pinch the program seems to be in. Can you speak on which former coaches, head and or assistant coaches, are still being paid by FSU to essentially not coach Florida State? It just seems like the best option would be to ride the current staff out through their respective contracts, as opposed to firing them and being stuck with paying them not to coach us. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Well, uh, there's so there's two things here. Like the, There's kind of his, his sentiment at the end. As far as making coaching changes, and there's the question. I, you had a couple guys last year who Florida State had to buy out who had one more year left remaining on on their contracts, if I recall. So there are a couple that you're still paying for this year. I don't think that you're on the hook for anybody for next year, with the exception of Willie. Am I wrong in that? I'm like, there's nobody from Jimbo's staff that you're going to be paying in 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 2021. Like, no no assistant had a five year deal. It's just Willie, I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, am I missing something there? Yeah, no, there's, I don't think, I mean, certainly some people we could reach out to and, and get confirmation on that, but uh, I don't think there's anything else getting still on the uh, the ledger sheet at this point. And the Willie thing, uh, <laughs> uh, they're going to kick that can down the road as long as they possibly can. I mean, I'm not saying they're defaulting on obligations, but that is a, uh, 18 million that they didn't have then and not necessarily 18 million that they have now either. So his assertion about like, should we have, should we not just be firing coaches left and right? I, I completely agree with him. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, uh, not everybody. I, I want to stop using the term everybody, but the lunatic fringe is all like, let's, let's fire, you know, fire this coach and fire that coach, fire this coach. I, guys, one of the major problems you have right now is that these guys have had four position coaches in four years, in some cases, four coordinators in four years. Just give it some time and let these dudes coach. There, there's no magic solution here where, okay, we get a new coordinator here and a new coordinator there. It's, it's all going to be better. It, it's not. It's just going to take some time. So I, I would say, yeah, stay the course for sure. I'm not, I'm not trying to fire a defense coordinator, bring somebody else in to, to win five games instead of four next year. But that's that's not, not something I think is real prudent. Uh, no, particularly not if you've got to pay that individual uh, as well. So not exactly an athletic department that is in the business of paying people to not work for it right now. Uh, Chris asks, is there any chance that this odd recruiting year provides some opportunity for schools like Florida State that are struggling to compete for the highest level of blue chips? Seems like every year there are more than a few uh, quote-unquote late risers in the recruiting rankings from previously unheralded prospects that blossom in their season, uh, senior season and at camps. Because many of these opportunities were taken away from high school players, are there a greater number of diamonds in the rough for us to find amongst the sea of three stars this year? Or am I just grasping at straws? In theory, I, I think he's right. Right? Like the, there are fewer kids this year who are, are known because we would have seen them at camps over the summer. Right? A, a lot of times these guys who bust out as, as seniors Somebody saw them at, at a summer camp, and we didn't have summer camps this year. Florida State did not have a chance to get on camp, get these kids on campus, and and work with them. Uh, so, in theory, yes. Now, here's my worry on this: 
because of the transfer portal, you're going to have schools holding three, four, five, six, in FSU's case, probably nine or 10 spots because they want to see who jumps in the portal, who else they can get. If they find a late rising high school kid who's, who's a stud, these schools that were quote unquote full, as I think Chris would, would be correct in, in, in assuming in a normal year, they might now have a spot for that kid that they were going to use to take a transfer. So that's the worry. Like if, if you do, if you do find somebody, does somebody who's a more attractive, does a more attractive program have more spots to give than they normally would? It's just going to, that, that's going to depend on, on how much some of these programs fill up in the early period, but FSU's still out there offering kids, right? They, they, they just, they just landed the Brown kid out of, out of Lake, Lake city, Columbia, the, the linebacker slash safety, who I, I think is, is looks like, like a pretty solid player and you know, not a, not a superstar, but a, a solid addition to the roster they, they, they just offered the, uh, the, the running back slash receiver out of uh, French camp, Mississippi, whose name I don't have in front of me r- right this minute. He, he's committed to Navy. At the moment, I know they're looking at several receivers out there because they feel like they need to add more speed and a little more shiftiness to this receiving core. Um, they, they are absolutely looking to try to overturn all, all, all the rocks they, they can overturn. And I would expect they're going to keep offering kids uh, up to up to the early signing period and then also after the early signing period. Um, I also think Florida State, like we have to wonder how well they're going to do in the portal. I, I think that their initial uh, foray into the portal with Mike Norvell uh, turned out pretty damn well, but we know others, other schools are beefing up their staff to scout other teams' rosters. And I don't know that Florida State has the funding to have a, a dedicated you know, portal person at this point. I, I think it's just the guy that runs their recruiting, which, you know, you guys kind of know my thoughts on that. So yeah, man, that's, uh, that's not, it's possible. I think it's certainly possible because because of the late nature of of the cycle and because of, of the you know, kind of the disjointed high school season we've seen in some spots. I just don't know that it's guaranteed. Um, I think hindsight twenty twenty. If you could go back in in March or April and have any idea as to what was going to happen, remember that article I wrote where I wrote for that magazine that you published in twenty eleven about geographic recruiting. I would draw about a sixty mile radius around Tallahassee and try to find as many kind of Diamonds in the rough as possible in South Georgia, uh, along the I-10 corridor, and see what you could kind of farm domestically as much as possible and, and develop relationships. And you know, maybe you have that in mind next year. I, I certainly uh, hope, like hell, that we emerge from this COVID thing and and that uh, vaccines are successful and everything else. But I don't know that we're going to have a fully traditional recruiting calendar next year as well. I mean, it, no, it, we do know that, that, the, that they won't because the dead period is already through April. Right. Uh, good point. Good point. So like you're, you're going to have a, a weird recruiting season next year as well. Maybe not as weird as this. I think you look at region one in Georgia, you, you look at Southwest Georgia, you know, go, go to 75 and East uh, or highway 75, I 75 uh, and East in the state of Georgia try to develop uh, as many relationships as possible. That's very fertile recruiting ground. Um, you're not necessarily going to beat, you know, Georgia or Auburn for four, four and five stars there, but you can find a lot of good players and, and, you know, you're going to have to lean pretty heavily on the, on kind of the, uh, the Lake cities, Madison counties, uh, you know, the, the schools along the I-10 corridor and, and do as much with that as possible. So uh, I know this staff has, some uh, good relationships out of state, and I'm not demeaning that, but uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to hit home pretty hard uh, in this year, and it would probably be wise to uh, to have that in the back of your mind for for 2021 as well. I, I, I think any good evaluator is going to look at did the process make sense at the time, and I, I think Florida State's approach absolutely made sense given what they knew at the time, right? You're correct 100%. If you had a, you know, some kind of time machine, you could go ahead and say, oh, guys, this, this is coming. This, this, this ain't good. Uh, of course, if FSU had a time machine, it just wouldn't fire Willie, right? Like it, you'd be a much better spot financially and otherwise if you just, just, you know, stayed the course there and not fired a coach after 21 games. And, and I, I understand some boosters weren't going to fulfill their, their pledges that they had already made if Willie stayed. And that, that's, that's a consideration. You know, you don't, you didn't have a time machine. I, I don't think that their process here, was was a bad one. It just 
they are a victim of, of circumstance here that uh, like circumstances really, really kind of screwed over their process pretty hard. I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that they're, they're going to have to do a, a better job in the state next year, uh, particularly because you're, you're not going to have like, we might have spring official, spring official visits open up in, you know, like may, but I, I'm, I don't know if I'm expecting this, man. And a lot of schools, by the way, this is not the NCAA, the big bad NCAA is saying, hey, you can't do this. A lot of this is, you got to remember, the NCAA is not just this own organization. It, it is made up of its member institutions. I, I, I don't know if people realize this, so I'm just going to say it. A lot of this stuff is a cost savings thing as much as it is as a health and safety thing. Hey, like, we, we don't want to ha- put these kids on the road and you know, risk them going cross state lines and, and all this kind of visit stuff. And, and look, there's a, certainly a part of that. I, I don't want to diminish that. There's also a cost element here to where these athletic departments are bleeding cash and they don't want to spend the money on hosting official visitors and staffing up to have unofficial, unofficial visitors, all, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's part of this too. Like, like I talked to schools so some of my friends coach at the G5 level and they're like, man, yeah, like we, we, we get free years of scholarships for all these kids that had COVID. But our, our administration says, I don't care what the NCAA says with, with their, you can go above the 85. We're not getting any above the 85. Like our, our, our admin says you might have to play at 80 funding wise. Yeah. But it's keep in mind, those schools vote and they're represented in, 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 in the NCAA just like, like an Alabama is. Their, their vote counts basically the same. Very uh, very good point there. Let's see. So we're moving to Matt's question here. Uh, man, would it be the end of the world if we got some positive news? First Terry, then Durden, then Altmeyer decommits, now Webb opts out. I just feel that there's not much faith in what Norbell is doing or most of the players. Obviously, winning fixes everything, but we know that's not going to happen anytime soon. What truly positive news is there out there for Florida State football? What truly positive news is out there for State football? So I'll say this. If I'm ranking the assets that Florida State has, or at least the things that you have confidence that are a very real asset, I would have the strength and conditioning program uh, up there pretty high. And uh, this will be the first year where the roster really gets to work with that team and not doing it remote, not doing it in a rush three weeks, not doing it, not trying to do some otherwise heavy lifting that would be ideal to do outside of season, in season, et cetera. I think with the idea that you get to go through a traditional off season with this strength and conditioning staff, if there's anything that's going to give you a chance to ratchet up pretty quickly, I think that's it. And that's one of the better things that you have comparatively, in my opinion, against when judging against other programs and other staffs, uh, that that'll be the first time where you really get to leverage that resource. I, I think that's that's a really good point. I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. I I think that they have two young quarterbacks who who they are actually fairly high on. So we'll we'll see if they're right about that. As far as good news, I, I think it's good news that they get to keep playing these two games. I mean that that's that's good news, and not just for us. I mean, obviously, we, we want to do the 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 pregame podcast and the instant reacts and whatnot, but. I'm still going to watch and, and evaluate these games. I'm sure this coaching staff is excited to be able to continue to to coach this team, even if these players aren't really excited to play these games. Yeah, I, I would I would say that classifies, or excuse me, that that, that qualifies for sure. All right, Matt. We will thank our friends at Congruity here as we get to the uh, final stages of this podcast. Congruity has been a fantastic ad for us, and uh, would only do uh, similar for your business. So, Congruity is your business optimized. Certainly encourage you to uh, visit their website, congruityhr.com. Talk to our good friend, Matt Lewis. Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100 or Knowles at Congruity HR. Congruity is highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. All right. Last one here of the day. Uh, Now, I'm going to skip Chris's, I think, because he basically asks, is there any light at the end of the tunnel, which is kind of similar to what we just just heard from Matt. Uh, But Chris, we we do appreciate the question there. Um, Michael asks, recruiting questions, one specific and one general. 
Does Michigan's equally horrible season give us any chance of getting back in on Brandon Jennings? Uh, would a coaching change there help? Second, if I'm your average, chi- I'm your average childless forties man. I have no clue what is important to teenagers these days. So I'm wondering, does a school like Ole Miss lack any of the relevance of the national stage matter at all to teenagers? Okay, so the first question, uh, I don't think that Florida State is going to be getting back in with with Jennings. Um, I think that there's a there's some outside forces there. I I, I think that are are at work, uh, and I, I think he is uh, he's pretty tied in with the Michigan program right now. I I, I don't think FSU can get back in there personally. Coaching change. I guess could help, but I, I don't think Michigan's going to fire Harbaugh this year. They could, but I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Now, as to his second question, does Ole Miss' lack of any relevance on the national stage matter at all to teenagers? Yes, it does. You don't see Ole Miss winning for nationally elite prospects. The issue is that FSU is also not relevant on the national stage in terms of the recent memory of like elite high school players. Now, they are more relevant on the national stage than Ole Miss, certainly. Ole Miss is not beating FSU for kids from Florida. Florida Florida State just lost a kid to Ole Miss from Mississippi in a pandemic. I mean, Ole Miss is recruiting right now. Yeah, they're 56th in the country. So I think that does help to underscore a little bit here the fact that, yes, that they, they have fought and won some battles. They they have three three star pro, or four star prospects in their class. Uh, Florida State currently has has five, and FSU's three stars are, are rated you know a good bit higher than that. Old Misses are. Yeah, it definitely matters. Old Old Miss is not winning for elite level prospects, basically ever so far this year. They're going to win for Altmaier, but. I mean, other than that, they're they're not really. We got a a bunch of questions here that we weren't able to get to today. We'll certainly save those for uh, a show that we will do, uh, you know, later in the week or first next week. Want to thank all our Patreon uh, subscribers for their support and uh, just the amount of, of questions and and subject matter that they provided to us, uh, both on today's show and and really for the last half year or so. So thank you very much uh, to you guys and ladies and uh, Bud. I know that all these podcasts aren't necessarily, uh, you know, the funnest of times to uh, to listen to a Florida State podcast, but we're certainly fortunate to be able to do it. Thank you guys uh, for the support you've given us. Uh, if you have the chance to give us a five-star review, it is uh, very much appreciated and uh, silly in its level of importance. But uh, for now, this will be uh, <laughs> this will be the end of this particular Nolcast, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. And uh, as long as Florida State's playing, we will have a instant reaction podcast uh, available for you on uh, future game weekends. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.